and everybody has it back again. Don't take no mess at the rose garden. Jesus, they're on fire. They're what we desire. The men in black can handle it. Other teams can scrapple it. How they win that game today? There's just one thing you can say. How does somebody shoot that three? Believe it, it ain't easy. How did Brian jump so sweet? Believe it, it ain't easy. It's the flying dot that's in your lap. Welcome back to the Rose Garden Report podcast. I am Sean Hyken, the author of the Rose Garden Report newsletter, which you can subscribe to on rosegardenreport.com. Free and paid subscriptions available. I have a lot of big stuff coming up in the coming weeks for paid subscribers, so I would encourage you to get on board there. The podcast, as always, you can get on Apple, Spotify, Google. We're going to be on YouTube soon. Not yet, but we're going to be on YouTube soon. So youtube.com slash Report. if you want to pre-subscribe. There's going to be video elements to the show soon. And you can now get the podcast along with all of your favorite radio stations on the Odyssey app. Because and you and I posted a little bit about this on social media. I sent an update out on the website. So this has been announced and it's been out there. But we are now a part of of the odyssey family odyssey of course is one of the main companies that owns a bunch of radio stations all over the country including 1080 the fan which two of my former guests danny Morang, frequent guest and brandon sprague who's also been on the show both of them work for that station so a lot of connections there and i'm really excited about the partnership for a few reasons one they're gonna help me sell ads which obviously is gonna be good for me but also i'm gonna have a lot more different stuff that we're going to be able to do as far as getting it out there to more people and putting it into different feeds and you know integrating it with different stuff with the radio station it's not it's not really going to change at all as far as like the actual content itself because i still have full creative control over everything i'm planning on just keeping on doing the same exact show that I've done since the beginning, which is what I like doing, and it seems like a lot of you also like. So the content is going to stay the same. It's just there's going to be more video stuff maybe now, and you're going to start seeing clips of it pop up in more places, and it's going to look a little bit more professional in that way. So I'm real excited about that. Uh, As far as this show, I just minutes ago recorded with my buddy Chris Hine, who I've I've known for a long time, going back to when I lived in Chicago covering the Bulls, he was covering the Blackhawks for the Trib at the time. And for several years now, he's been in Minneapolis covering the Timberwolves for the Star Tribune, does a great job on that beat. And we're in the middle now of the, I guess, baseball-style or playoff-style series between the Blazers and the Timberwolves. Portland won the first game on Saturday night. We recorded this on Monday afternoon. The second game is in about three or four hours. So we don't really get into any of the preview recap stuff. You guys know me. I don't really like to do that. Whenever I have somebody on who covers a different team, I always like to do more just kind of big picture stuff about that team and maybe get their thoughts on the Blazers just as an outsider because I'm always curious to see how people who don't cover them day to day like I do view the team. So we get into a lot of that stuff, and obviously the Timberwolves are one of the more interesting teams, not only in the league, but also just as it relates to the Blazers, because they, you know, they're in the same division, they're kind of in the same tier of 
playoff hopefuls in the Western Conference. And, you know, like Portland, there's just been a ton of organizational changes there with, you know, Tim Connolly coming in as GM and kind of really remaking the front office. And then also some pretty big on-court changes with the Rudy Gobert trade. So Chris and I get into a lot of that stuff. And it's a really good discussion. It's, it's really interesting to kind of get his perspective on some of the big picture stuff about where the Timberwolves are at, but then also some of the day-to-day stuff that maybe I don't know about because I'm not, you know, around the team every single day. So it's similar to, you know, if you remember, like, the last episode I did with Adam Mares, who covers the Nuggets, or the episode that I did with Sarah about the Jazz, or the episode that I did with Gerald about the Suns. It's kind of similar to that. My next episode, I'm still working on nailing down a guest, but we're going to get back to more, like, purely Blazer-focused stuff, I think, in the next couple of weeks but with the Blazers being home a bunch and playing a bunch of teams that I think are interesting I wanted to do a little bit of kind of check-ins about some of these other Western Conference and division rivals for the team so you know that's kind of what today's episode is so let's get to that conversation right now how you doing Chris thanks for doing this with me yeah, I'm doing great. It's good to be here in Portland uh, on the road traveling covering games it, it's it's been great. It's a couple. It's been a couple of days that you've been here in Portland. They're doing this, this. Is the first one of these that the Blazers have done here in Portland. The as I like to call them, the baseball series, which I think they started doing during the COVID shortened season. Not 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 the one that got shut down, but the right, seventy two game one. season yeah, where they just yeah. wanted to cut down on travel, so they started having teams play back to back in different uh, cities to cut down on travel. But I kind of like it though because. What it does is it it's sort of like a mini playoff series because it allows the teams, you know, they play each other, especially the game against that these two teams played against each other the other night. Mm-hmm. They Both teams now have a day that they can go in and make adjustments and say, oh, if we did this different, especially that game was not a blowout. That was a pretty close game the Wolves led at half. I, I'm not going to do too much like game preview, game recap stuff because we're recording this a few hours before we're going to go to the arena. But the point being like these these baseball style series kind of let both teams kind of make adjustments and, you know, go into the next game differently. So I've, I've, yeah, I've kind of found it interesting in that way. It, it, it is. It's always intriguing to see like what they're going to do differently, how they're going to, you know, how are they going to choose to defend Lillard tonight? I don't know. I don't know if it's going to be any different, uh, a little different coming off of screens or, or what have you, but yeah, it kind of affords you that, that time uh, to, to make more, in-depth adjustments or minute adjustments that you would make in a playoff series as opposed to, oh yeah, we're just in Portland now on a random Monday night. Um, It's not the case. Right. So it's been a couple, it's been like what, one week, two weeks since uh, they lost Towns with the... Yeah, about two weeks. Uh, They've they've played five games uh, since then. Yeah, about two weeks. So they had a couple little little break in the schedule there Uh for a few days. So yeah, and five it's been, games total. Yeah, and it's been really interesting to me to watch just how they've played differently since that happened because they were one of the teams I was the most intrigued by going into the season because, you know, they made that huge trade and just completely changed, like, the makeup of the roster and going with the Twin Towers thing with those two. And then early on in the season, it just looked like it was not working at all. Like, the vibes were yeah. bad, that th- those two were just not fitting well together. But, you know, since Towns went down, they've been playing through Rudy a lot more. He was really good in the first uh, game here in Portland. Like, 
how has it changed, you know, the way that they've looked and just kind of the mood, A, the mood around the team, because obviously you never want, you know, one of your best players, arguably your best player to go down, but it has fundamentally changed the way they play and not necessarily for the worse. It, it has. I think it's simplified things a little bit on both ends of the floor. Um, trying to integrate Carl into being a power forward, uh, you know, at both ends of the floor has been, I think, a bit of a chore at times. And everybody was still trying to figure things out. And I'm not saying this is an indictment on on Carl as a player individually, um, because I think it's not. And you could just say, okay, Carl and Rudy, you know, they're great players in and of their own, but together, does it fit? And I don't think that that's necessarily saying that it's an indictment on Towns or Rudy being bad. Right. You know, I think I think it could just be a bad fit overall. I'm not, and we'll see how that happens. We'll see how that meshes together when Carl eventually comes back here. But I think on offense, it's just it's simplified things. They're more they're more screen and roll oriented down with Rudy. Um, on defense, they're playing pretty much all you know, a drop coverage, whereas they were trying to mix things up before. So they have kind of a consistency with what they do at each end of the floor that wasn't necessarily there early in the season. And I think you're kind of seeing on offense, guys like Ant and D'Lo and Rudy know that they have to step up their offensive game a little bit with Carl out. Whereas before, there was kind of a, is it my night? Is it your night? Right. Whose night is it tonight? You know, who's kind of a big man version of the, Le- of the, you know, the first, the LeBron Wade first year in Miami where they were right. like trying yeah. to figure it out. It was like, it was kind of like the big man version of that, which is kind of unusual with the current version of the NBA where so many teams are going smaller that it's two big men who are so ball dominant and who everything gets run through. Right. And, and that's, and that's what they were trying to figure out. And, and like with, with Ant and D'Lo, it's like, how do, how do they fit in there? Right. You know, on a given night, is it D'Lo's night to not really shoot much? Is it Ant's night to not shoot much? But now it's like everybody, the usage is, is there for everybody now. Um, so you, they don't have to really worry about getting their shots or whatnot. Cause there's, with Carl out and with Kyle Anderson now in the starting lineup, who uh-huh. is a, a very unselfish player looks to create for others from the, from the four position kind of fits that pretty well that, you know, that mindset of, okay, let's get Rudy the ball. Let's get Ant the ball. Let's get D'Lo the ball in scoring position as best, as best we can. Um, so I think, I think you've seen that, especially in the offensive end, it's, it's clicked a little more uh, from that perspective. I am a huge Kyle Anderson fan. I thought over the summer when they signed him, every you know everybody was paying attention to the the Rudy trade because that was like the big splashy move. I thought that was one of the best signings of the summer. I loved him in San Antonio. I loved him in Memphis. He was a guy I think the Blazers might have looked at if they had the money to do it. I think that was maybe something they talked about or kicked the tires on at, at one point, and I just weren't able to you know pay as much money as other teams were. But you just had a piece today on the Star Tribune about the fit between him and Gobert and how that's kind of evolved and developed and grown since Cat has been out and everything has kind of been run through Rudy. And really, in a lot of ways, uh, Slomo is kind of like the perfect guy to have kind of in those sort of lineups. Yeah, he takes he takes a lot of pressure off of Russell to, to always be the one initiating uh, the offense. And I, I just noticed that he and, and Rudy, they, they connect on – what are seemingly kind of difficult passes in short spaces. They've been really good at that the last 
like two or three games or so. I thought they were really good at it on Saturday night, even though the Wolves lost. I thought they had some really nice sequences um, just with Kyle being able to get the ball to Rudy in a good position where all Rudy has to do is lay it in or dunk it. Um, so, and he said he was watching some film of Joe Ingles, uh, trying to model his offensive game with Rudy off of how Joe Ingles did, uh, in Utah. And, and that seems to be working so far, but I do think that he's also freed things up for Russell to play a little more off the ball as well. And I think you've seen Russell's production go up in recent weeks as well. I think it's important that the Wolves don't always have the ball in Delo's hand. I think it allows him to be a little freer. Um, to save a little bit of energy to and just and he can play pretty well off the ball, and I think that's been the one of the keys to helping get him going is Kyle Anderson's ability to take some of that heat off of him. Do you think they're going to be able? Because all the stuff you're talking about is all this stuff that seems like it's clicked into place and is working a lot better now with Cat right. out. He's not out for the season. He's going to be Correct. back in, what do they say? Back. What do they say? Four to six weeks. We're a week after the injury. So maybe like early to mid-January, maybe we're talking about him returning, maybe like sometime next month. At some point, he's going to be back and they're going to have to work him back in. And that's a pretty big, you know, piece and like a high usage guy to have to work back in. Do you see a way for that to eventually work and for them to be able to because like i know the snap take has been over the last couple of weeks oh the wolves might just be better without cat and everybody else is playing better without cat that's really not a feasible long-term option for them going forward because they just signed him to a big extension they just traded a ton of picks for gobert they're gonna have to try to make this thing work long term do you see a way that that's going to be able to happen that's the million dollar, the multi-million dollar <laughs> question, isn't it? Um, right. So so what I think can happen over the next month is I think you can, you can learn things about Rudy and playing with Rudy that works well for this team as a whole. And when Cat comes back, can he integrate himself into what they have been doing well? I I don't know. I don't know what that's going to look like because Cat is also a, an offensive entity unto himself as well. And he's, you know, obviously one of the best shooting big men of all time. The best, uh, according to some people. Correct, right. Uh, <laughs> the best, according to some. Um, and defensively, can he make that work? And that's, that's where this stretch of time is. Yeah, the Wolves are 3-2 are and two now since Carl went out, you know, but it's also just going to delay the process of, of everybody getting a good look to see if this is ultimately going to work. And, you know, it takes six weeks or however long it's going to take off of that development and, and that integration of, of the roster and skill sets and trying to figure out what works best when the two of them are on the floor. So I don't know they, they did have a five game winning streak, um, when, when Carl was in the lineup, uh, and then they, they lost like three in a row or something like that. Uh, and, and so had some pretty bad losses in that stretch. So they have shown that they can play some good basketball together. It's not like it's, it, it's been all a disaster, uh, when Carl has been on there, it's just the, the consistency of it. And, you know, Carl, and Carl was struggling to shoot as well. I wonder if when he comes back, is he going to, you know, rebound back to his normal shooting form? Maybe that helps a little bit. 
But one one other thing I'll say is some of the issues that this team had with Carl and with Carl and Rudy were not necessarily because of Carl and Rudy playing together, and were just longer standing issues that this team has had dating back to last season. One is rebounding. And they do not get the the ample rebounding that they need from their guards. And they are near the bottom, again, in defensive rebounding percentage, which was their Achilles heel in that playoff series against Memphis when Brandon Clark was seemingly grabbing every offensive rebound in sight. Right. Um, that has not changed with this team. And that is something that I think they can improve and should improve regardless of what five guys are on the floor. If they can do that and maybe limit some of their turnovers, they're they're one of the worst teams when it comes to turnovers. Um, if they could just do those two things, I think they could look significantly better regardless of which five guys are playing on the floor. And that has nothing to do with how Towns or Gobert, or very little to do with how Towns and Gobert fit together. Because when they made the trade, it seemed on paper like they would be able to play together and it would be able to be a fit because Rudy offensively is such a, you know, get the ball around the basket type of guy and Towns, Mm -hmm. you know, plays a lot more on the perimeter. So it's not like you have two bigs that kind of, you know, cancel each other out and, you know, jam each other up and are trying to play in the same place. So you would think that at some point it's going to be able to work. But, you, you know, you're totally right. Some of the guys that they gave up in the Gobert trade Everybody obviously talks about, like, what Patrick Beverly was in the locker room. But when you talk about the rebounding deficiency, Jared Vanderbilt is a guy, to me, that they really miss. Yeah, yeah, they do. Um, and they, they also miss his ability to defend right. as well. Like, he's, you know, he was guarding the other team's best score along with Jaden McDaniels um, a lot of times last season. Um, so you, you, you put Gobert in you know, kind of that Vanderbilt slot in the starting lineup. So now Gobert is your, is your top rebounder, whereas Vanderbilt was your best rebounder a season ago. The other four guys around, you know, it's just, it just doesn't, hasn't worked. You know, D'Lo, Ant, McDaniels, and Carl playing a new position is not quite in the same rebounding, you know, position that he is when he was a five, right? So, they need more from that, from that end of things. And they, they haven't gotten it on a consistent basis this season. And they miss that. They, they really do. They, they're missing that from their team. And until, I think that's one of the biggest issues with this team, covering them on a day-to-day basis, quite frankly, is just rebound the basketball at a better rate. And I think a lot of their issues, uh, they'll be putting up some more wins and their issues won't look as big in other areas. Where is Anthony Edwards right now, as far as his development, where like, like, is he, you know, obviously number one overall pick had, you know, a a couple of huge moments in that playoff series against Memphis. Seems like he's going to be like one of the next superstars. It hasn't quite happened yet. He's still very young. He's, you know, he was, he was very, very good the other night in the first game against the Blazers. Like where do you see him at right now, as far as 